Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning here at Hope and Anchor Church. I hope you've had a good week. I hope the Lord has been at work in your life preparing you for a time just like this, where we can open His Word, we can open our hearts, we can enter into prayer and to worship and join together with our fellow travelers, with our brothers and sisters who are intent on following after Jesus. Do we always get it perfect? No. Do we always do it consistently? No, probably not. I, I don't. I mean, I've struggled. You know, we all struggle. But we find that grace and mercy abounds in the midst of that struggle. When we come to Christ, we find an understanding heart. And it's Christ Himself who mediates for us before the Father. How fortunate we are. Uh, this morning, uh, what I'm trying to do during January is every Sunday spend time uh, investing in preparation. Preparing our hearts so that we're ready, ready for all that God might want to do this year uh, in our lives, uh, individually and as a church family. I believe there's a lot of potential that we can realize this year. Uh, and it starts with us being prepared, committing to faithfulness, committing to action, committing to following uh, Jesus wherever He will lead us this year. I believe uh, the year passed, even a couple years passed, do not have a say on how this year is going to be. You, know, you get what I'm saying? Our past does not define our future. So today, I want to kind of continue beating that drum. Okay, preparing to engage this new year and this new opportunity that we've been given. So that being said, think about a time when you were given a fresh start. 
Have you ever been given just a, a, a fresh start? Uh, the technical term is a mulligan, right? Is any golfers in the room? <laughs> it's certainly not me. Any golfers? Yeah. What's a mulligan? Does anyone know? It's a do-over, right? Every year is a do-over. Every year we're given a fresh start. If you've been given a fresh start, a do-over, how did that make you feel? How did it make you feel? How does it feel to be given a new beginning? You know, especially after a season of frustration or stagnation, uh, suddenly you are given an opportunity to start over. It's like the sun has come up. It's like the dawn has broken. It's like we can finally get moving again. We are finally free to break. Uh, we're finally breaking free from the funk that has defined our life in the months and the years past. That's a pretty good feeling, isn't it? Why? Why does it feel so good to be given a fresh start? Why do new beginnings feel so refreshing? Uh, I think it's this. I think it's, it's that we were made in a certain way. We were made deep down to be free. We were made deep down to be unstuck. We were made to be moving forward. We were made to be doing stuff, making stuff, affecting change, contributing, helping shape the world around the, us. It's, 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 it's as if we were made to not be stuck in a rut. There's something that goes against our, our human nature to be stuck, to be stuck in a rut, to be not doing uh, uh, the same thing over and over again. Monotony does not fit us well. We are not doomed to unchanging monotony. We are not doomed to repeat the past. Part of our uh, co-creative work, is what I call it, part of our co-creative work alongside our God, as His image bearers, it naturally engenders in us an intrinsic, instinctive desire to participate in meaningful activity. This instinctive desire to pursue purposeful things, to make things happen. It's part of our human nature. It's part of the way God made us. And it's part of the way, in fact, that we reflect His image in the world. He makes things happen. He creates. You want some good news? Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Each and every year is a fresh start. Every year is a new beginning. Every year is a chance to try again. Specifically, as a follower of Jesus, each new year is an opportunity to reassess, to refocus, and to recommit. How are we going to grow and serve and become more and more like Jesus Christ this year? These are the questions we must ask as we head into this new opportunity. How will we grow, serve, and become more like Jesus Christ? Is that how you see the year before you? As you've thought about 2021, have you understood the potential, the opportunity, as a chance to start again? I mean, some of us have been kind of dragging our sorry carcasses into the new year. I mean, I'm afraid that's a pitfall that's uh, all too common. But have you been looking at the new year as a fresh start, a new beginning? Have you actively been seeking to embrace that reality? 
After 2020, I think we all need a fresh start. After the year passed, we all need a new beginning. Last year was tough, and for many of us, it felt like we were stuck, didn't it? I mean, you may, you may have other words to describe it, but that's what I want to say in church. Feel that you may have felt stuck last year. But here is a new beginning. And together, this year, we can all move out of survival mode. Out of just being stuck in that survival mode. So, believing that, believing that this is a new year, and it's a new chance, believing that this, we've been given an invitation for growth, how do we be intentional about engaging it? How do we spend well the time that we have been given on this next lap around the sun? It would be a tragedy. Because of our human potential, because of the image we bear, it would be a tragedy to reach the end of this year and be unchanged. It would be a tragedy to reach the end of this year and be the same exact person you are right now today. It would be a terrible waste to stagnate in the face of all the potential laid before us. It would be a terrible waste to be unwilling and unmotivated to press deeper into our faith, press deeper into our shaping and sending calling that we have as a Christ follower. I believe 2021, I believe the year 2021 is a unique and wonderful opportunity for growth and renewal, both personally and as a church family. I hope that we can all agree there, that God has something in store for you as an individual, you as a family, but also for our church as a fellowship. I believe it. Frankly, I feel it is a chance to start again. Uh, and To speak in biblical language, I believe what God wants to do this year is kind of a resurrection of sorts. The Word tells us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. Do you believe it? Do you believe that a resurrection can happen here in our church as well? Churches talk about revival, but I think sometimes what we need is resurrection. We need new life just breathed into us. I think this is a chance to start again. Here in the first month of the year, now is the perfect time to plan. Now is the perfect time to commit to and to initiate bold plans to establish new and refreshed spiritual rhythms, uh, Christian habits, or spiritual disciplines. Maybe that's the word you know. This is the time to start making those decisions. If you're like me, uh, my history, my Christian history, <laughs> is littered with New Year's resolutions. My personal history is littered with New Year's resolutions lying unfulfilled, uh, forgotten, uh, things like Bible reading plans, uh, fitness goals, things like that. Anyone else? If we uh, peeked into your history, you'd be like, wow, <laughs> inconsistent much? Yeah, that's me. Um, but here's the thing. Sometimes we can start to believe things about ourselves about what we're capable of, about what God might want to do through us based on our past, based on what we did not do, based on what we did not complete. Sometimes we let our past speak, our past speak far too loudly, giving direction to where we're going or what we're capable of or what God might want to do. Has anyone else fallen into that trap before? Our self-talk can be pretty negative because we've been a we felt like a failure in the past. So it must mean we're going to be a failure in the future. So why even try? It's a trap. 
It's a trap. It's like, who is it in Star Wars? Uh, I'm not a Star Wars nerd, sorry. But someone in Star Wars at some point said, it's a trap. <laughs> I wish I had to research this. <laughs> is it, who is it? Admiral Akbar. Admiral Akbar, yes. Praise the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> but hear me say, especially in the area... Uh, in the area of our faith in Jesus, our past struggles and our past failures do not define our future. Our past struggles, our past failures, they must not define our future. Your past struggles, your past failures do not have that much power over you, so stop letting them have that much power over you. It is possible to grow this year. From wherever you are right now, it is possible through the work of the Holy Spirit to grow this year, to cultivate spiritual disciplines, and to see a new level of maturity and insight develop in you. It is possible this year to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit in new and vibrant, fresh ways. And here's even better news. It's not just me saying, hey, go do it. Have a great time. No, it gets better. We're not on our own in figuring it out. God is eager to see you grow. God is eager to help you grow. Growing deeper in the life with God is not something we must cobble together, not something that we must get right on our own. What has God done for us to help us succeed in this, to grow? Well, first I would say He's given us His own Holy Spirit to indwell us, to guide us, and to grow us. And then He sent Jesus to live among us, uh, to among, one among other things, to demonstrate how to do it. How to live a life in intimacy with God the Father. Jesus came and showed us. So, where do we begin? Well, Sunday school answer? Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. Let's look at Jesus and notice how he spent his time. How he ordered his days intentionally. And how he attended to what mattered the most. Jesus himself, he demonstrated, I believe, a rhythm in the life with God, his Father. Here's what I mean. At regular intervals, if you read through the Gospels, you start seeing Jesus uh, going certain places at certain times for certain reasons. At regular intervals, he practiced what I call solitude, communion, and ministry. Solitude, communion, and ministry. Early in the mornings, Jesus was often found where? Doing what? Praying in a lonely place or by himself praying. Early mornings, Jesus was often found alone on mountaintops, spending time in prayer and meditation with God. This is what I call solitude. Solitude. Then, after he came down out of that time with God off the mountaintop, he gathered on the hillsides with who? His disciples. He gathered his disciples to himself. Uh, this growing community of faith, this family of believers, communion the faithful community was important to Jesus, and he demonstrates this. Solitude, communion, and then lastly, over and over again, he routinely entered into the level places or the plains to minister to people. Jesus intentionally went out, laid hands on people, healed people. He gave sight to the blind, he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he raised the dead, all the while sharing the good news, engaged in intentional ministry. So you see it? Solitude, 
communion ministry. And then the cycle would repeat over and over again. Solitude, communion, ministry, mountaintops, hillsides, level places, wash, rinse, repeat. He did it over and over again. And you have to kind of, you remember those old hallusions, those posters that look like static, but if you kind of crossed your eyes a little bit, you'd see a picture of a unicorn riding a hippo or something in this this hallusion poster. You remember those? It was big in the 90s, I think. That's kind of what you have to do as you read the Gospels, too. You just kind of cross your eyes a little bit. You start seeing this pattern of what Jesus was doing with his time. Doing with his time, day in and day out. Solitude, communion, ministry. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 6. And let's read verses 12 and 13, and then we'll jump down to 17 through 19. You'll see why in a second. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. This is where we're going to skip. You can read that on your own. Down to 17. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from far north and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. Do you see it? Where did Jesus start? On the mountaintop, in prayer, alone with the Father. Then he comes down on the hillside, and he gathers with his disciples, and he calls in this passage, he's calling to himself the twelve. Then they together go out into the level places and start healing, start giving demonstrations of God's goodness and power in the community. Flip over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, 28 through 37. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 37. This is the transfiguration. This is a little harder to see, but remember, kind of step back, cross your eyes a little bit, and you'll see this pattern again in this story. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from the world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When, the t- when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, <laughs> Peter, it's the best, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. That's my favorite story. Jesus is like, thanks, Thanks, Peter. He like pulls the curtain. Thanks. <laughs> then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at the time what they had seen. The next day, after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. Okay, so um, you see it again. Went up to the mountaintop to do what? To have special communion, with uh, solitude, interaction with the Father. And this was a unique time. Elijah and Moses show up, things like that. But the disciples are there. And then, ostensibly, they come down gather with the rest of the disciples because the three that were with Jesus decide, hey, we're not going to say anything. When we're back in community with the other disciples, don't say anything. Okay, and then they go out to the level place and do ministry once again. So, see what Jesus is demonstrating here in his life and ministry? He practiced a healthy kind of solitude, communion, and ministry rhythm. 
Solitude, communion, ministry. He did so, I believe, for two reasons. First, he did so to keep his life and ministry focused, sustainable, and rooted in the presence of the Father. Secondly, I think he did it to show us a healthy and vibrant pattern for living in relationship with God so that we can avoid imbalance, overextension, and distraction. Because stuff like that happens, right? Even with the best of intentions, right? We can become imbalanced, overextended, and distracted. Jesus knew that all that we're called to do in, Christ, in Him begins with a deeply rooted faith in the Father, relationship with the Father. In my humble yet very accurate opinion, I think Jesus knew what He was doing. I'll fight you on it. <laughs> I think Jesus knew what He was doing. I think He was doing this on purpose. I believe Jesus sets for us an example worth following. Do we want a deeply rooted relationship with the Father so that our ministry is sustainable? That our life together is vibrant and life-giving? I do. Do you want to avoid becoming imbalanced, overextended, and distracted in your life of faith? Man, sign me up. I believe Jesus shows us, demonstrates for us an example worth following in solitude, communion, and ministry. So solitude. What does solitude look like? Well, we don't have to find a mountaintop. Fine if you do. I love mountaintops as much as the next guy. But you don't need to find a mountaintop in order to find solitude. But we do need to find a private time and place to be intentionally alone with God. These we call the quiet hours. Your day should have quiet hours, times when you're available to God, in which we get alone with our Creator. Uh, these are formative times, times in which we are formed. They inform us, they empower us when we go out then into communion and ministry. As we assess the spiritual geography of our life, the spiritual topography or the landscape of our life with God, it's important that we identify when and where we best meet with Him on a regular basis. Meet with Him on a regular basis for what? To spend time in prayer, to spend time in Scripture, to spend time listening, and to spend time speaking with Him. These mountaintop moments... This, guys, serves as a location where we sit with God and we are centered and we are reoriented in Him. Our mountaintop place of solitude becomes where we regularly encounter God's, God's revealed will in His Word and in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we're missing this moment on a regular basis, are we able to hear are we able to be available to quiet ourselves enough so that we can hear that still, small voice? This is the primary context. Solitude is the primary context for our growth in both biblical literacy and obedience. This is where the Spirit works into our hearts a desire for obedience, an appetite for biblical literacy. In solitude, we cultivate daily habits of Scripture study and meditation, prayer, and journaling. Those kind of things. We can also practice purposeful silence and solitude and, and devotional reading in this moment. That, that, those quiet hours become kind of a laboratory in which you can develop new habits, new patterns, try new things in your walk with the Lord. Our place of solitude becomes a wellspring of vitality in the life with God. 
Does your spiritual life feel anemic? Do you feel disconnected from God? Do you feel a million miles away and just like there's no fruit growing in your life? Well, oftentimes it's because we haven't prioritized solitude. When was the last time you were on the mountaintop with God? Just you and Him, alone. So solitude. The second uh, stop in the rhythm that Jesus demonstrates is communion. Communion. While we often view church attendance as extracurricular, as a nice-to-have part of the Christian life, Jesus seemed to think it was a critical component. The gathering of the believers seemed to be a critical component in the life of Jesus, and it was also then demonstrated in the first century in the early church. That was a crucial, central part of what it meant to be following Jesus, to gather as brothers and sisters of faith. Just as Jesus prioritized early morning mountaintop times with God in solitude, He was just as intentional about gathering regularly with His disciples and His faithful friends. So what does that mean for us then? What does it mean for us then to also prioritize communion, gathering of the saints, gathering of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, after a year's worth of disruption, we need a renewed commitment to the local church. We, standing with our brothers and sisters in Christ from ages past, we need a renewed commitment to the local church, a renewed desire to reconnect in worship, in discipleship, and in service. We must stack hands and say, this matters on three. One, two, three, it matters. That should be us this year. We must prioritize gathering together. We must regard our time with Christian brothers and sisters as a critical part of our week and also of our, of our spiritual formation. Have you noticed, and I've mentioned this before, almost all of the fruits of the Spirit make no sense unless you're around other people. And more specifically, around difficult people, people with rough edges, people that throw elbows sometimes. If we're to grow spiritually, we have to be around others. This is why the Christian community is so critical to our growth, to our spiritual formation. As we do so, I believe, as we make this commitment, I believe we will start to see growth. Personally and as a fellowship, we will start to see this life-giving rhythm start to take shape here in our midst. I believe these next few months, this lead-up to Easter, is an important time for our church. It is a season of preparation, of relaunching, but as I mentioned earlier, I believe it's a time that in which we will prepare for resurrection. We, with Christ, will be raised from the dead. We will be raised from 2020 in Christ. And that will require each and every one of us to grow deeper in our commitment to each other as we grow deeper in our walk with the Lord. Can we do that? Amen. Will we do that? I pray we will. Solitude, communion, the last stop in the rhythm that Jesus demonstrates is ministry. As part of our shaping and sending mission here at Hope and Anchor, we must always be mindful of this gather and scatter dynamic that Jesus demonstrates. This gather and scatter dynamic that we find in following Jesus. After Jesus spent time on the mountaintops, in solitude with the Father, He gathered with His disciples on the hillsides on purpose in communion. Then He purposefully went into the neighborhood. 
He went into the community, into the level places, onto the plains for ministry so that he might reveal and represent the good news of what God was doing in the world. Jesus demonstrated a natural connection. He seemed to understand and then he modeled a natural connection between shaping and sending, between worship and work, between fellowship and neighborhood, between prayer life and practically loving our neighbors as ourselves. He saw it as being connected, one informing the other, one empowering the other. So what does that look like for us? How do we notice the opportunities we've been given for ministry in our lives? Will the church offer opportunities for you to serve in ministry? Absolutely. Love thy neighbor, kids ministry, youth ministry, uh, various ways we're going to reach our city with the good news of Jesus. Great. But man, if we limit it to that, we're missing out on the vast majority of the potential we have for ministry. You're sent into places that I can't go. I'm sent into places you can't go. Each of us in our homes, our workplaces, our schools have people before us whom God loves, who He desires for them to hear the life-saving message of Jesus Christ, of His life, His death, and His resurrection. So together, yeah, we practice. We use the church as a laboratory in which we can practice ministry so that when we go into our different worlds, our different spheres of influence, we're able to reveal and represent the good news of Jesus as well. Does that excite you? That we get to be salt and we get to be light all throughout the week in a zillion different places. Ministry. So personally, locally, globally, our worship and our mission must be connected. What we're doing here must inform and be connected to what we're going to do tomorrow. And what we're going to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we come back again and we celebrate all that God has done all week long as we went out into the level place for ministry. Jesus' disciples and, uh, and the apostles, they constructed the early church around this understanding this was understood as a given. This is what it meant to be a fellowship. If we call ourselves a fellowship, this is what it means. We know God. We spend time in solitude uh, with God. We gather together intentionally as the body of believers, and then we go out into the world to live like Jesus lived. They took it very seriously. As a result, the believers then, in their host community, they became known for their resilient faith in Jesus for their sacrificial service and giving, and for their deep desire to bless others. If you read about the early church, you notice that others noticed. People that weren't even believers, they looked at the Christians, they're like, yeah, they're weird, but man, they're nice. <laughs> Look at them. Look at them go. When people are sick, they serve. When people are fleeing town because of a plague, they're running toward those who are afflicted. They share everything they have. They love each other in this like superhuman kind of love. Have you noticed? These Christians, wonderful weirdos. The way they were regarded in their host community mattered. In fact, living out this shaping and sending dynamic, it became the early church's most powerful evangelistic tool. I mean, there's times where they actually tell people the gospel story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but what drew the most people to the church? 
was their faithful witness of shaping and sending. They lived in a certain way that people are like, I got to get in on this. They've, they're on to something. They're on to something. I want to get in on that. And then they heard about Jesus and their lives are transformed. Their shaping and sending dynamic became their most powerful evangelistic tool. How they worshipped, how they lived, and how they served drew people to Jesus by the thousands. There's one passage in Acts where it's like, and God added 3,000 to their church that day. We're going to need a bigger van if we do that. That's a lot of people, guys. One last passage and we'll finish with this. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 42 through 47, this is how it's recorded in the book of Acts. All the believers devoted themselves in the, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." There's a reason this is one of our favorite passages in the Bible. This gets our, our, our the, the, the stokes of fire within us. Like, yes, the bride of Christ can be beautiful. We can be beautiful to a watching world. And God can draw people to Himself through His church. So may hope and anchor be marked by this same rhythm. May our church be marked by this same dynamic, this shaping and sending awareness, this shaping and sending commitment. And may the Lord add to our fellowship day by day, daily, those who are being saved through our, our faithful practice of solitude, communion, and ministry, individually and together every day of the year. Our church family and our neighborhood and our world, guys, they're waiting they're waiting for us. So this new year presents a new opportunity. So may we grow together as we follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your goodness. Thanks for the encouragement we find in your word. But more so, thank you for Jesus. And thank you that he uh, came to live among us and demonstrate how to go about living a vibrant, fruitful life with you. God, I pray that you would do a work in each of our hearts today. Renew our commitment, our desire. Stoke our appetite for following Jesus and starting to live more and more like Him. God, as believers, we're called to pursue Christ-likeness. And this is what it means to be more like Jesus. Not in just a spiritual sense or some theological sense, but actually a physical, real sense. The time we're given, the days we're given, God, we will live them on purpose and spend them well. That we would uh, eagerly enter into solitude, time with you, where we might listen closely. We might hear and we might grow. And then we might go out from there and gather with our fellow brothers and sisters, our, our, our fellow adventurers of faith, and find that we too are sharpening each other, growing together, and a certain synergy is rising up as we put our hand to the task together to reveal and represent the gospel in our world. And then, God, as we go out into our community all week long, I pray that we too would see miraculous wonders happen. As people are healed, eyes are opened, hearts are restored, and people are brought back into relationship with you through faith in Jesus. God, that we might be able to be a part of that. 
God, it all starts with a renewed desire in us, a resurrection of sorts. I pray that you would breathe new life into us, each individually, but also as a church family. God, it's easy to say that the past doesn't define the future, but sometimes, oh man, it's just so hard. It's hard to wiggle out from under the weight of that. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come, would bring deliverance, would clear the clouds from our mind, all the hurts, all the broken promises. God, and help us move forward into the future, free and ready to become more and more like Jesus. God, we lift this prayer to you in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. God, I pray, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in your life this week, that you would start to feel the excitement that I feel for this year. I think together this can be our best year as a church. We can see God do amazing things that we'll look back on and say, wow, that was far beyond what we could ask or imagine. Wow. Yes, we'll have to grow. Yes, we'll have to mature as a fellowship put in place structures and trellises uh, in anticipation of fruitfulness, but I believe it's possible. We've long prayed that God won't send us any more people than we're willing to be faithful, willing and ready to be faithful stewards of. Amen. So may we become faithful in our stewardship uh, of, of the disciples, of those who come to our church, those who commit to follow after Jesus. So I pray that we'll all be in that together. So you're awesome. I've got a couple of announcements and then we'll be done for the day. How's that sound? Yeah, but dab do, right? All right. Uh, let's see. Students, uh, Kendi, what do you got? Um, game night tonight. So, six to eight, well, snacks, and stuff. Here at the church? Okay, six to eight. Uh, kids focus. Uh, Sue, thank you. That was good. The kids were like itching to see what was in the boxes. <laughs> nice work. Uh, let's see. Kids focus. If you want to be in, uh, involved with that, we need some maybe people signed up as subs to do a kids focus here or there. Uh, also, we are working to open the kids room or the cry room in the back and also the nursery for babies, toddlers and under uh, as we move forward. Um, if you want to be involved with that, please see me. I'd love to help you uh, get involved with that growing important ministry. Also, uh, we view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship, so we want to provide all kinds of ways for you to participate in that. Uh, we have two baskets here in the room for cash and check. We have uh, an iPad at the back where you can use your debit card. On the website, you can use PayPal. And now, Heather, tell them. We have Venmo, whatever that is. Yeah. No. Anyone my age and older is like, is that a car? You know, um, or a moped? Yeah. No, it's a cashless, contactless way to give from your phone. So it's like Cash App. Uh, you can just send money that way. So if that's more your language, feel free to worship in that way. So Venmo. All right, hey, uh, like Dale mentioned earlier, we've got a list up here. This is uh, from the when we first shut down for the lockdown, we created care groups. So you're kind of grouped together in your care group. I've got all the email addresses, but we'd also like to get a cell phone number so that we can uh, stay in better contact. We won't spam you, we won't sell it. <laughs> Will we? No. <laughs> But it's just, a, to, as we build a more effective database, uh, we would like to have some phone numbers so we can text you if, if you're doing uh, 
uh, if you're sick or if someone's uh, in need, we can uh, contact you and let you know. So come up, write your name on here, add it if it's not on the list. Okay, Love Thy Neighbor. Next Friday is our last Friday Love Thy Neighbor with Victory Mission uh, from 1 to 2 in the back parking lot. We're handing out food and prayer and just uh, showing kindness to people. Starting next month, it'll be on the third Saturday of the month from 10 to 11. So I hope more people can get involved that way once a month on the third Saturday from 10 to 11. All right, anything else I missed? All right, well, let's stand and pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, everybody. Have a good afternoon.